you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Win Win. If you're an OG listener, you will likely remember my conversation with Emily Hayward, co-founder and chief brand officer at Red Anther. And if you haven't heard it, I would argue that it's one of the best episodes of this podcast and filled with insights. Anyway, I was recently rereading Emily's book called Obsessed, and it's really all about the importance of brand and the reason I found myself going back to the book because, well, I spoke about it in my own trajectory sharing episode with Gabby Andrade, but my personal innovation thesis is all about decommoditizing some of those products or industries or services that can seem so mundane or operational and really make consumers excited about them. A few weeks ago, I spoke to an amazing product leader, Josh Sadler from the FinTech Move, and his excitement and passion for embedded banking really reiterated that if you are an innovator, any industry or well-made product and brand can spark magic. That's how I feel about Palin Corbinet's today's win-win guest who is a VP of Innovation and Analytics at the life insurance company Gerber Life. Paylin really breaks down some of the very tangible ways that life insurance is a space ripe as ever for innovation, with lots of interesting problems to solve, but she also touches on that emotional innovation component that keeps on coming up in this podcast. In her 10 years at her current employer and after being a startup founder and a mom, Palin's perspective, knowledge of her expertise area, and compassionate leaderships are one of the many reasons I'm super excited for you all to hear this episode. And if you're of the belief that innovation can only happen in certain industries or in certain types of companies, I believe that Palin's story will change your mind. It definitely changed mine. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Palin. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, Zoa. So so good to hear you again. Um, I'm looking forward to our conversation this morning. And good morning. Good morning. Yes, so, so excited to have you. This has been a long time in the making, so very excited. I'm going to kick it off by asking about how you transitioned into life insurance, which is the industry you're currently in, because you did start in marketing. So really curious how your innovation career transition kicked off. Is by accident. That's the truth of it is um, I actually took a few years off and I started my own company. And I got really bored because it, my own company was a lot of fun, but I realized I wanted a bigger challenge because I was running a small company that self-funded. And eventually, I got to the point where I wanted to, to have a much bigger challenge. And I, at the same time, I wanted to take care of my child. At mm. that time, it was 10 years ago, so she was seven. So because of it, I started looking for a job that's near my home and near her school. And ultimately, I flip a coin because I have multiple offers and I flip a coin and just pick this one in life insurance. Wow. Already so many questions I have about that. You know, something we've seen through Women in Innovation is that entrepreneurship has actually now become a pathway for mothers and, and people who are raising their kids. A lot of women are saying that in some ways, while it 
really takes over their life and gives them an opportunity to make their own hours. Obviously, you were starting your own company more than 10 years ago. So how, how do you think being a founder has changed from then and now? And, and do you think if you were to be a founder today, it would have been a different experience? Definitely. Part of the reason I started my own company was for my child because I did want to have more flexibility during my work days. And the second reason was I was just passionate about doing things that I'm passionate in and doing things for myself. I have always found doing work for myself that I'm passionate about, I can excel the most. And therefore, that's why I started it. And now, if I were to be a founder again, which it could very possibly happen, <laughs> I would probably do a little bit differently because my perspective in life is a little bit different. And I potentially may want to structure my company very differently. How so? When I started my first company, I corral people that I know to help me with different pieces, different functional pieces of my business. And now I think the first thing I would do is networking and go out and see potential investors before mm. I actually start a business because I understand that's the most important thing now to have a business of scale versus trying to grow it uh, self-invested for a few hundred thousand dollars. Now I think I'm going to go after bigger money and therefore will give me a bigger scale in whatever business I'm in. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned that you had different offers. You flipped a coin and landed in life insurance. But, you know, in order to get those offers, the companies needed to see something in you, which, you know, is not hard. You're an incredible woman. But I, I guess I'm curious about not coming from that life insurance background. How are you able to apply your skills and really make the case that you'd be a good fit for this company? Or what were they really looking for? They were looking for a smart business manager. And they were looking for a specific skill set in the marketing category. And so that I fit into the box. Mm -hmm. Skill set in marketing, skill set, you know, good with numbers and uh, aptitude, right? So the business experience, I have always been a strategist. So I think that comes across, doesn't matter how junior you are, what a person is. Totally. Um, and I was actually considering switching industry at that point. So I don't know if you are aware of this program. I actually applied to NYC Teaching Fellow. And they, um, it's actually for mid-career professionals who go back to school to get a master's degree in education. And while doing that, uh, the person would teach in an inner school, public school, specifically right. in the subject area that's really challenging, such as math and science. So I was going to teach um, eighth grade math somewhere in the Bronx. Wow. So yeah, I seriously consider that because I want to get back to the community. I wanted to make a difference in somebody's lives. And I feel teaching is one of the ways that you can really make a significant impact in someone's lives. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's one of the many reasons why I do teaching outside of my, my day job. This is kind of silly, but before I was in the financial services industry, to me, it seemed like why are people passionate about this industry? This is like such a such an adult industry. And now that I've gotten kind of more knowledge across insurance, insurtech, fintech, and finance as a whole, I've realized that these industries are actually the ones that are really making a difference in people's lives. But I guess I was curious about how aware were you of the life insurance industry? What were your perspectives on it um, when you were joining the company? 
I was aware of life insurance because as a um, math person, and I was aware of a lot of um, pieces in a person's finance, right? But other than that, I really didn't know anything about life insurance. I did not understand the products. I did not understand the regulations. All that I had to learn. So there was a huge learning curve, and it's highly regulated industry. However, it can make a significant impact in someone's lives.、Mm-hmm. So to do to conduct the business right, it's very meaningful, and it's really protecting the families. And that is something a lot of people out there don't think about. Mm-hmm. Or haven't had the exposure to, so I'm very fortunate to be able to be on the other end of trying to help people understand the importance of life insurance or financial protection. Yeah, hundred percent. And I guess now there there are a lot of different startup players and industry players that are really trying to talk about life insurance and and. Trust management and and wills and all these sorts of things to the millennial and Gen Z generations. I'm curious if you know you have this platform on this podcast to talk to our listeners,、uh, to those Gen Z and millennials listening. What would you say about life insurance? What would you want them to know? Probably will be a little bit bigger than just life insurance, but all, overall the financial、um, awareness and financial health, wealth, right? Because I think. In your when you are in the younger generation, Gen Z, Millennial, whatever the generations are, when you're young, you don't think about wealth accumulation. It is so important to work on wealth accumulation, and it's so important to really protect yourself. So, should something happen, something unfortunately happens, you are well protected, and you can then reboot yourself, right? So, for all the younger Friends out there, I would strongly recommend you start saving, and you have a financial advisor, and who can help you looking at different financial instruments and vehicles that you need to start thinking about. Because one dollar saved today is going to be the compound interest rate is a real thing.、Mm-hmm. So in forty years, that one dollar can become many many dollars. And often, when when a person is young, you don't one does not think like that. And then you wait until you are twenty, you are in your thirties, or when you are married, when when you have children, you start thinking about these big items. But imagine start doing that when you are eighteen. It will give you a leg up, and your life is going to be much easier, and you are going to take care of yourself and others better. Yeah, I mean, so so accurate, and you know, there are so many women that are now trying to figure out this issue. You know, why are people of color, why are women of color, and women as a whole so disproportionately affected by this? Why are they so left out of it?、Um, I have my own thoughts, but curious to know why do you think that women are only broaching the subject of wealth and life insurance at a later stage, or, or sometimes not at all? It's our culture, Zoel. It's very clear to me. It's the culture that we're in. It's the stereotype of women as a gender, and how women are supposed to behave. Even a lot of empowered women still have it. Still have it because you grow up in this culture. So, even if one is an innovator and were very rebellious, you are still you still have that culture and that norm in the back of your head. Totally.、So、one is less so now for the younger generation, but I know that、uh, when I was growing up, you don't consider the option of not getting married, right? Right. And so once you get married, what happens? 
potentially you have to take on your husband's last name. Will you hyphenate? Hyphenate is great, right? <laughs> Because then you're both there. But have you seen a lot of men hyphenate their last name to add their wife's name? No. no. Right. So why is that? There's that inequality that still exists in our culture, and that's a gender stereotype. Of you do this, and therefore you turn certain things over to your partner. So I think that's one of the issues that still exists in our society. Yeah, and I do think that with over five hundred thousand deaths in the U.S. alone as a result of COVID, topics like life and death and money, topics that are typically taboo and especially taboo for women, have been more top of mind. And you know, we've mentioned it, but especially for those younger generations or populations that weren't maybe previously exposed to it. Because of the cultural reasons that you mentioned, or because of the generational gap. So, what changes have you seen as a result of the pandemic in your industry? And do you think they're long term, or will fade out with the pandemic? I want to say seemingly minimizing. There are a lot of changes in my industry、uh, because of COVID pandemic, and I'll just walk you through a couple of them. One is、um, a lot of companies realize everything needs to be digitized. Mm-hmm. Okay, because people did not want to talk to the agents, you know, last year. Although that's coming back, people are a lot more comfortable about talking to agents now.、Um, pandemic seems to have subsided a little bit in the U.S. versus last year.、Mm-hmm. Although that's arguable, but okay, people have that perception that it's a little bit better now.、Mm-hmm. So digitalization of a regulated industry. And an industry that's、uh, traditionally more conservative and also slower in moving is a huge challenge. So there、mm-hmm. are a lot of insurance companies that are going directly to transformation. We need to change everything. We need to change the way we deliver policies to consumers. We need to change how we talk to consumers because consumers are coming to us via internet and digital only. Right.、Sure. So that's one thing. And the second thing is because of COVID, some. Uh, insurance companies have had trouble、uh, paying out the claims, or pay out the claims, and realize it won't be as profitable. They won't be as profitable as they used to be. So some insurance companies have been exiting the life insurance、uh, space for themselves because, given COVID, it's just no longer a profitable proposition. So those are the two big things I've seen in my industry. Asking the big questions right away, based on that. What sort of solutions do you envision for that issue? And and if you could wave a magic innovation wand, what are some solutions you'd love to implement? I think the insurance industry needs a lot more com- competitors, a lot more competition,、mm-hmm. and competitors hopefully from tech giants to really show how fast things can move. I mean, the back end for insurance industry is very complex. Very challenging, and most people, most tech giants, would not want to take that on. But、mm-hmm. there are a lot of technology platforms that are being built now that can probably fill in the gap, and more development will be needed. So I think the biggest way, the best way to disrupt the insurance industry and make things go a lot faster is some big investments from tech giants. That's one. Or two,、um, some of the insure tech's success. And for them to start making money, because a lot of incumbents, a lot of large carriers are buying insurtechs, trying to combine the existing with the new, 
Um, but I believe everybody is more or less struggling with how to make that happen and how to make it happen really quickly. The intention is that we want to transform, we want to change, but with a legacy and with leadership, sometimes it just takes a lot for an organization to change. Yeah, I mean, I, I've mentioned it in the financial services industry. A lot of the back end systems have been around for like. 50 plus years and, and, and then nobody wants to change them because they kind of work, but that's where innovation becomes a huge issue and it's, it's impossible to keep things moving forward. In your role today, data and big data plays, you know, a fundamental part. You've recently won the Navarica Data Award and, and have worked a lot with data in your last uh, almost 10 years at your current company. So what role has data played and, and having the access to so much data, how do you kind of go about sifting through it to find those innovation insights that can actually move the needle for your company? That's an excellent question. And I think that my answer would be pretty standard because there's so much data. So you need to really have an idea, find business strategy perspective. You need to have a hypothesis of what you're trying to learn. Right. So, for example, if you're trying to learn why, then you know the data that's associated with why is probably in a certain category. So then you go ahead, you have you put your data scientist um, army on that, and you go through big data. You use machine learning, try to figure out whether you can see patterns or you can predict, and from there, hopefully, hopefully, because sometimes you don't always, but hopefully, you find some insights that's actionable and you can implement it. You can develop a use case that's relevant for your organization. And once a use case is developed, you need to size it. You know, you need to perform, you need to do performa and that's based on not just the data, but also business knowledge and strategy on what that performa will look like once it's implemented and you project it out and you invest in it and then hopefully you see the outcome. And I love that, but I'm also in a phase in this podcast where I love asking people about their failures. So pardon me in advance, but when was a time that data really led you astray and you've seen failure as a, as a result of coming to certain conclusions uh, from the data? I, <laughs> that's an excellent question. Um, I will tell you, data hasn't led me astray, but people have. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because data has, I'm going to borrow this. This is actually from my CIO. Uh, data has no opinion. Is the people that has opinion on how to interpret the data. And is people has opinion on how to take that data to a different place. Mm-hmm. So as far as data goes, data always tells the truth. Unless the data is dirty, unless the data is wrong. Right? right. So, I mean, yeah, if the data is not categorized correctly or if it's dirty or there's noise. But once we take that out of the picture, if the data is accurate and you use that data to come up with insights, it tends to be the interpretation and the people that let things astray. And that is a much tougher problem to solve than data cleaning or data engineering. Totally. And I think that's typically when people go to MBA school, learn about uh, persuasive communication and figure out how to influence people and how to open minds and change. You change the world by opening people's minds, by listening to them and help them understand, see things that they haven't seen before. But I guess I'm curious as somebody who is thinking about these things all day and and does come from a background in education, what would you say are some kind of 
watch outs around data biases or, or traps that people who are working with data can fall into that can influence the way that they are creating insights around the data that may be inaccurate? It's going back to the person because usually how you take in the data will lead to bias and how you think about data will lead you to bias. So I would say that it's important that you get yourself in a place where you have a lot of a lot of good colleagues or teammates that would challenge your thinking and even people outside of your company in the industry, different industries, they would challenge your thinking about why are you thinking like this? And then therefore the data you select to go into your analysis will become different. So the most important thing is to have diversity in your workforce, diversity of thoughts, and diversity of friendship group, diversity in your network. So you can continuously challenge yourself to think differently. And therefore, the data that you analyze would not be biased. Yeah, and I think specifically with life insurance, I mean, it's applicable to all humans. And I think the one thing we all do share is that we all live and, and we all die too. So what implications on the industry have you observed when there is a lack of diversity? Or like you said, when diversity exists, the, the, the positive opportunity there? I think when there's a lot of diversity, more innovative thoughts happen. And there are probably more disharmony as well, because people need to figure out how to work with each other and how to accept new ideas and i think that's really important and when one is in the right environment you would have a level a small level of friction and disharmony but then you work through it and that will gain a larger alignment of thoughts and then you can together move forward a little bit better Mm -hmm. and in the case of with little diversity is challenging because that then would lead to slower moving in an organization or in a company. And it just takes a lot more. And very often, I think these slower moving companies potentially would bring in the big guys, consulting companies, to show them what's totally different, right? Sure. So there's a lot of self-awareness in large organizations, I believe. And I know a lot of companies have um, diversity and equality as one of the big things in their philosophy. So it is something that everybody is working on. Sure. It's just a matter of uh, pace. Right. I also think that when it comes to the actual product itself and financial services, uh, there are some companies that tweak their algorithms to account for the differences in gender when it comes to, for example, investing, right? So think about a woman's lifespan and their risk tolerance and other factors that gender plays a role in the industry. Do you think it's important to have that level of customization in relation to gender when it comes to life insurance? Absolutely. Um, It's going to take a very long time, and perhaps the regulators, perhaps a regulator would not let us do this, but ultimately life insurance should be personalized on a one-to-one basis. Mm -hmm. And right now, we are not allowed to do anything like that. there, There should be no discrimination, right? The regulator wants to protect people. So the companies cannot discriminate, and the product needs to be offered to everybody, right? So the one-to-one can become scary because what if we know everything about you and you happen to veer from the norm, you know, with a benchmark and you are on the negative side. So that means your premium will be higher. So that could be scary. 
for people. So I'm very curious to see how this will all work out in the next 10, 20 years. Personalization and customization at that level based on gender lifespan is very appropriate and totally should change how much premium you pay when your lifespan is a, a little bit longer. A hundred percent. And I also think that to that point, it's it's a big dilemma because gender is a very large qualifier. And so not every female is the same. Not every male is the same. There are people who don't even identify with gender as a whole. And therefore, I think that it is, it's an interesting idea, but in practice, I think it's super, super tough to implement. Speaking of implementation, you have conceived and pitched digital transformations to the CEO of your company, to the leadership team. And I can, I can imagine that that's a big challenge, especially getting that buy-in. How have you achieved getting buy-in from leadership in your company? And what challenges have you experienced uh, while going about it? A very straightforward answer is that one needs to do a very good PowerPoint deck. That sounds like <laughs> a good story. <laughs> I know PowerPoint is really frowned upon by many companies, but it is visual. It can tell a story and also show financial impact. So, right. okay, so that's a kind of flippant way of answering the question. The other, <laughs> the other way to answer the question is that one needs to develop herself as a leader and have the conviction, the passion on what you are going to pitch, right? So I'm sure everybody knows about Don Quixote. You know, Don Quixote goes out there, fight all the windmills, and people think he's crazy. But what is the difference between somebody who is crazy about the vision that could be an illusion with somebody who is so crazy about vision that ends up to be successful? Mm-hmm. It's the same one must have a vision and that vision can be very scary to most people that vision can be unattainable to most people look at elon musk look at steve jobs you know they believe in something they have the passion they have the dedication they go for it mm-hmm. and that's why the world is changing based on some of the visionaries right mm-hmm. so it's the same thing in life insurance industry in any kind of innovative job you need to have passion you need to have dedication and you need to really go hard at it, meaning you are going to stick out like a sore thumb. You're going to be different. You're going to say things that nobody potentially likes very much in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But do you give up? No, you don't give up. You keep on going back at it. You keep on thinking about different ways of saying the same thing to the people that you need to have uh, influence on. You need to influence and people who will approve uh, will give you the money, right? So capitalize on your opportunities, influence the people that you need to have approval on and influence the people around them. I guess what I'm saying is that you just need to be a very good campaign manager because it's a campaign. You need to go go out there and do this like it's your... It's your most important campaign. In your it's your life. presidential bid. <laughs> yes, basically. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I couldn't agree more. When I think about your career, it's it's great to have seniorly rise the ranks at a, at a large life insurance company. And now you're on kind of, I would say, the other side of that. You're a VP of analytics and innovation. And so now you're bringing on people to hire. You're growing and expanding your teams. When you think about hiring now, what are the things that you really look for? And what would you encourage uh, mid-level professionals to really bring with them to the table as they try to get onto that leadership side of the table? 
I look for aptitude or their attitude, you know, who they are as a person and what their philosophy in life is. But so that's number one. And that's very subjective. Sure. The more objective things I will be looking for is certainly logical ways of thinking and quantitative skills. Sure. Because the quantitative skills tend to result in a logical thinker. And a logical thinker tends to be a critical thinker. And a critical thinker usually leads to a good business person, right? And then you combine that with enthusiasm, passion, um, communication skills. Then often then you would have a diamond in the rough. Then you can train, you can teach, you can collaborate on, and then this person will grow and flourish. No, I absolutely love that. And I think learning is such a big part of your trajectory. It's a big part of mine. So I think it's it's really awesome to hear those tangible ways that people can work on things as well as some of those soft skills that you look for. Palin, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And before I let you go, I'd love to ask you one more innovation question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? And if you could see the face that wow. Palin just made. <laughs> um, hopefully one month from now, there will be more innovation for either my company or all insurance company to start this digital transformation. And a year from now, I hope we can show some minimum viable product MVP to people and to see the changes that the insurance industry would come to. And 10 years from now, I certainly hope that I will have my own company doing something exciting. I don't quite know what yet, but perhaps my own company where I will be equally challenged and I will learn a lot more and I would also give back to the world. I love that we started this episode talking about your days as a founder and then of course your unbelievable trajectory in life insurance and it's so much fun to end it to look ahead at the future and see you as a founder there too. Palin, thank you again so much. It's really been a pleasure and I love following you along on your journey. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here to talk to you and talk to your listeners. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.